One of the worst feelings in the world is to be incredibly busy, but feel that you're not making any progress. That is Brendan Burchard in his great book, High Performance Habits. I'm hoping that today provides you some wisdom to help move forward and make new progress in a new area of your life. Welcome back to the Leading Second Podcast. So glad you're here today. Here we go. This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. so honored that you're here today and joining us for this episode of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart and I have the incredible honor along with my wife of leading this incredible tribe of uncommon church builders. If you lead but you're not in charge, Leading Second is for you. If you want to get it right in the second chair, then welcome to your new tribe. So glad you're here today. Of course, the Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning with a new episode and uh, we're actually back today from a week off, so I'm glad you're, you found your way back to this space, and I pray that today is going to help you. Well, I thought we'd do something a little bit different today for our episode this week. Today, I want to talk with you for a few minutes on the tensions of the middle, the tensions of the middle, and we're going to do this by way of answering some of your questions that have come in over the past year. This past year, we had an incredible year of team church events on the road. Um, As you probably know, if you've been around Leading Second for any length of time, Leading Second is an extension of the greater team church tribe. Uh, Team church began as a conference at my home church in August. And by the way, I hope you're planning to join us this year, August 5th through the 7th in Tacoma. It's going to be awesome. You're going to want to check that out. Uh, And over the past couple of years, we've expanded it and taken it on the road. And this year we did three Team Church one-day events around the U.S. and Canada. They were awesome events. And at these events, Leading Second did a session. And we did a session on the authority test. Uh, during the session, we took questions. Uh, and and as is usual with a Q&A time, uh, we didn't get to all the, we didn't get to a third of the questions. And so today, I thought I would dive into a few that I've been saving. Uh, a few that I thought were really great questions and lean into some of the real tensions we face in the middle. So today is going to be Q&A straight from our tribe. I hope this helps you. I hope this gives you some perspective. So as we head into a Q&A episode, I want to put a huge disclaimer on this today. And that's that I don't think I know everything. Um, I say everything on this episode with an element of humility Um, there's so many brilliant and great answers that we could give to um, some of these very complex questions. That being said, my life was changed by traveling with a mentor of mine in my earliest years of ministry. You know, the long car rides, the days serving him, of course, doing the same with my pastor over the years. It's just led to so many conversations that have built wisdom into my life. So today, I just figured we'd do that. I'm actually sitting in a hotel room this morning um, on assignment at a church. I just thought maybe we could use this as a chance for me to share some wisdom. And I pray that it helps. And if, if these thoughts can can add something into your life, 
then we'll call this a win today. So here we go, the tensions of the middle. The first question we received um, that I've been saving that I wanted to lean into with you all today, uh, this question came in at one of our events. Um, This person wrote this, you talk a lot about honor culture. Why is honor the center of your values wheel? And are there any dangers to a culture centered on this? Are there any dangers to a culture centered on this? Um, This person is referring to maybe a diagram or a thought they heard that refers to our, my home church's values and honor being um, kind of the first and primary one. Okay, I love this question. I, I feel like we get this quite a bit with leading second. Um, let, me, let me try to unpack a few thoughts on honor. My first thought for you is this. You don't want to be on a team without honor. <laughs> Trust me. Um, honor culture is getting a really bad rap right now in our anti-authority culture, anti-establishment culture. We are so concerned as a society about people in power being corrupt that we have taken on ourselves to be the pride police. And we have forsaken what is a Bible word, honor. To honor something means to elevate it. That means to treat it as uncommon or unusual or special. That's what you're doing when you honor something. To dishonor something means to treat it as common, to maybe knock it down to size, if you will. You know, I, I understand where this question comes from. And there is, there is, you know, an assumption out there that excessive honor culture, you know, can get carried away and become harmful. And, you know, there's downsides to anything in excess and there's downsides to anything done too much. But I think if we're honest, this fear is generally misplaced when it comes to our pastor's and our leaders. Let me say it like this, guys. I spend a lot of my years sitting across the table from pastors, hearing their heart, hearing their heart for the team. And here's what I've come to learn. I know far more pastors who feel alone and who feel isolated without a true team behind them. I, I know far more leaders that aren't just, they're not running away with honor culture. They actually feel like people are treating them and the mission that they're on is very common, ordinary, usual. They could really use some honor people around them. When we're talking honor culture too, we're not just talking about honoring up. We're talking about honoring on all sides. My pastor would say we honor up, we honor down, we honor all around. Um, That honor only works when it's done in 360. I mean, you, you, of course, it's right and it's good. It's Bible for us to honor up. But we also honor those who, who support us and serve us. We honor people that we work alongside with. I don't see biblical warnings for too much honor. I see the Bible instruct us to honor wholeheartedly. The Bible even gives us a mandate to honor imperfect leaders or arrogant leaders. There's scripture to back that up. But I don't see scripture hold us back from honor. So to me, honor culture is something we have to get right. It, It adds so much life to a team, to a church. And this is actually an area where I believe the church must be counterculture to our world and our society. So the louder the anti-authority, anti-establishment thing gets in our world, the louder I'm going to talk about honor. I believe the Bible says, um, you, you know, Jesus said that they will know us by our love for each other. That if this is a distinguishing mark for us as believers, if this is a distinguishing mark for us as Christ followers, and I believe we can lean into it with all of our hearts. 
and uh, build something that's truly uncommon in our culture. So thanks for that question. I thought that was that was really good. Here's another question I thought we could dive into today. How important is building consensus for an idea or thought as a second chair leader? Or should we be exclusively supporting our first chair leader? How important is building consensus for an idea, you know, as someone who leads in the second chair? Or should we be exclusively supporting our first chair leader? I think this question is referring to the idea of, you know, coming up with ideas, creating consensus and collaboration around those ideas, or just simply following the ideas that are coming out of our pastors, out of those that sit in the first chair. Uh, Let me say a few things about this, because I I know a lot of young leaders out there that want to make a great contribution to their church. And part of contributing is bringing great ideas to the table and bringing great leadership to the table and getting others to follow you around those ideas. So I understand this comes from a really great place. Uh, So let me give you a couple thoughts here today. If you haven't built trust with your leader, you may not have very much leash to go out yet and make your own decision. Ultimately, that's where you want to be. Ultimately, you want to be so aligned and so in tune with your pastor, with so much trust in the bank that they trust you to go out and generate ideas, you know, get others to follow those ideas. Obviously, that's a great place to be, but that may not be your place today. I want to remind you that Jesus said you'll find your life when you lose it. Man, we love that scripture, don't we? (laughs) You'll find your life when you lose it. And by the way, Matthew 10, he said this on the day he called his disciples into leadership, into the day they were going to do things in his name and do miracles in his name. He basically gave them the authority, but then he asked them to give up more of their life in the process. The process of building trust with your leader who has delegated responsibility to you begins with losing your life in the bigger picture of their vision. It's okay, in other words, to go all in for your leader's idea at the beginning, even if you're holding back your own ideas. I think that, in other words, we we find our life later when we lose our life now. That my, My first step with building trust with my pastor was that I championed his vision, that I went all in for his vision, that I went all in for his ideas. I I proved that I was someone that could build ideas that weren't mine first. John Maxwell would say, obviously, the highest level of, of being involved in a vision is what he calls adding value to the vision. In other words, that the vision has moved forward because of you, but that's a final step. The step before it is a prerequisite to, us, to it. You must first champion the vision. You must first champion the vision already in place. And so I have found, first of all, that, that if I'm going to get the opportunity to build consensus around my ideas and the things I bring to the table, I must first die to that and lose myself in the bigger picture of what my pastor is doing. Another thought for you on this is, is this. Um, in regards to building consensus, though, this is a good question. My pastor encourages us to be people that find consensus. In other words, um, we believe heavily in collaboration at my home church. We believe there are better ideas in all of us than one of us. And so consensus and collaboration are powerful. That being said, 
It would be inappropriate of me to go out on a campaign and start to build consensus for an idea that doesn't match his heart. You know, to walk around to the offices and walk around to people and begin to sow ideas and align people to me toward an idea that doesn't truly match his heart. In other words, maybe a heart check for us on this is, can I champion his idea just like I would champion my idea? Am I willing to go around and build consensus around an idea that didn't come from me for I go around and build consensus around an idea that did come from me? Just, I think, live your life in the second chair with that principle. You will find your life after you lose it. That when you build trust by going all in and building consensus around your pastor's vision, he will, she will invite you to the table, to a place where you can contribute, but that comes Second, if you're not there yet, I guess I would encourage you to don't try to enter conversations you're not being invited into. Wait for the ask, wait for the moment, wait for the invitation, and be ready. When, when you're ready, God will give you your moment. And when you do it with enough trust in the bank, I believe your contribution will be valuable. Last thing I'll say on it. This is like the third close on this question. If my pastor ever comes to me and shows me that my idea is out of alignment with him, I will quickly go back and create consensus around his idea or a better idea. In other words, I I quickly lay it down. I, I can't say in my heart, I always did this over the years. I've gotten a lot better if I'm being real with you today. But now I, I think I'm quick at this, that, that if, if for some reason I am out of sync, if there's a better way to do it, I will quickly and just as enthusiastically go create consensus around his idea rather than just the one that, that I came up with. I'll lay me down and I'll, I'll lose my life so I can find it in the bigger picture of what God is doing in our church. Hope that helped you today. Okay, let's see. Uh, We had another question come in that I wanted to lean in here today. Oh, this is a really good one. Here we go. How can I establish my authority while still keeping in mind I have a lot to learn? How can I establish my authority while still keeping in mind I have a lot to learn? This is a really good question. In fact, it's so good that the question even somewhat answers itself, by the way. Keeping in mind I have a lot to learn. Uh, Really, really good question. Um, let me share with you a thought that I'm, I'm, it's really big in my heart right now. Um, I have a point. I'm going to get to it in just a second, but I, I think this is the principle we can all grasp in our lives. The principle is this. It's the principle of the burden of outcome versus the burden of obedience. The burden of outcome versus the burden of obedience. In other words, we were never intended to carry the burden of outcome. We were only ever asked to carry the burden of obedience. So many times we ask questions, so many times we approach our work and approach our life with the idea of trying to figure out where it's going to take us, where, where we're going to go with it. Um, and this question actually asks this, how do I establish my authority? That is a question around the burden of outcome not just around the burden of obedience. I would remind you, I guess, that Romans 13 and 1 says all authority is established by God. So I want to propose to you that true authority, not just authority based on like you having a title or position or something, but true authority isn't established by you. It's established by God. 
And so the burden of, of becoming a person of authority is not a burden, I believe, for us to carry. I believe the burden of obedience is one we carry. You see, leaders who don't get this, leaders who don't get that all authority is established by God, they worry often about being in charge or being the one in authority. They worry about being right. They worry about being the most important person in a room. They worry about everyone following them, everyone liking them. That's because they're trying to carry the burden of outcome on their life rather than just the burden of obedience. And so to me, some of the greatest leaders that have the greatest authority are ones who cloak themselves in humility, saying, I do still have a lot to learn. I am okay saying I have a lot to learn. And as I try to lead with integrity and character and strength, I'm going to trust that God will establish my authority. So therefore, I don't have to go about trying to establish my authority. When you try to establish your own authority, people can tell. People can tell when you're getting a little ahead of yourself and getting a little ahead of the situation. I think this beautiful question that answers itself, I think number, you, have to, you have to keep in mind that you have a lot to learn, cloak yourself in humility, and let God establish your authority. Don't worry about establishing it for yourself. Um, I have a couple more thoughts for you, though, in terms of just, I guess, maybe the burden of obedience and what can we do to lead and walk with integrity. I think the first thing I would say to you is this. Learn what true leadership is when it's coming from a whole place on the inside of you. Learn what true leadership is when it's coming from a whole place. In other words, leadership is not likes on Instagram. Leadership is not about being the most important person in the room. Leadership is not having the best clothes. Leadership is not always being right. Leadership is not always being in control. That's not what true leadership is. And a lot of those definitions of leadership come from a place of brokenness on the inside of us. So learn what true leadership is when it's coming from a whole place, that it's influence. Leadership is service. Leadership is empowering others. So, so allow God to bring wholeness to those places in your life and ask yourself, I guess, where your motive is coming from and learn what true leadership is when it's coming from a place of wholeness on the inside of you. Um, number two, I would say ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. I can't think of something I would want you to do first before going to the Lord and asking him for wisdom. When Solomon had to lead, he asked for wisdom. And by asking for wisdom, he gained everything he needed. And so often we try to get into the natural and we end up in striving and even in systems and this and that. And the end of the day, we need to ask God for wisdom. My prayer continually during Bible school was, God, give me wisdom beyond my skills, beyond my experience, beyond my ability. And I believe that's a, a prayer that God answers. So ask God for wisdom to lead the people that he's given you to lead. Number three, I would say build collaboration and succeed by helping others succeed. Build collaboration and succeed by helping others succeed. No one likes to follow a leader that's just out to see themselves succeed. But people love to serve leaders and love to honor leaders that they know this leader in my life is going to help me succeed as well, that I'm not going to bump my head on this person. I'm going to be able to thrive while serving under this person. And so 
to me, that means being a leader that succeeds by helping others succeed. If people perceive that they can win under your leadership, they'll follow your leadership. You'll become a leader to them. But if you're just out for your own success, people can tell that as well. And you will not truly be a person of authority in their life um, if you're living out of that spirit. And then the final thing I would say, especially if you're on the younger end of leadership, but this is true for all ages, all of us. Number four, be willing to say, I don't know. (laughs) Be willing to say, I don't know, but I'll find out. Uh, I don't think we need to have all the answers to be a person of authority. I don't think we need to know everything. I don't think we need to always have the, the, the right answer even. I think we need to have wisdom. But I think it's okay to say, you know what, I don't know. I'm going to look into that. That's a great problem. That's a great challenge. Let's solve that together. Let's get to the bottom of that. I think you can still maintain authority uh, by saying those three beautiful words, I don't know. And um, to me, that actually answers the question that you asked while still keeping in mind, I have a lot to learn. I think it's okay to let people know, like, I have some wisdom. I have some thoughts. I'm sure others do on this as well. And here's what I've learned along the journey. Approaching it with a sense of humility, I believe, establishes authority without moving you into pride or arrogance. So great, great question on that. Thanks for sending that in. Okay, we have time for a couple more questions. Gosh, I'm not going to get to all these Um thought this one was interesting. This is a little bit of a longer question. This person said this, how do you face a situation in which you are the leader and someone on your team who has an incredible heart for the house has an extreme issue with showing honor to those above them? This person goes on to say, in other words, how can you correct them in the least offensive way? They are an incredible asset to the team, but one-on-one, this person has a huge respect issue with their leader and almost anyone above them. So I totally get this question, but if I'm honest, I'm not sure how someone who has a huge heart for the house truly um, can still have an extreme issue with a leader. I actually don't understand that. I find this to be a very dangerous thing about our generation, that we can be all in for a vision, but not all in for a leader. A lot of people are all up on Jesus, but down on the structure of the church or leaders in the church. I find that be, to be very dangerous about our generation. My, my first question for this person would be this. Um, how did this person end up in this position in the first place? We must be so careful to not promote someone beyond their honor. And we must be so careful to, to, to never get people to a place where they're out leading their honor, period, ever. In other words, talent cannot be the measure that we allow people into a place of influence or leadership in our church. Honor has to be that pre-qualifier. If we bring talented people alone to the platforms and places of influence in our churches, we will risk them prostituting our platforms that we give them and using it for their own gain, using it for their own benefit. And then when they leave, they have no problem hurting the thing that they're leaving and no, no problem hurting the leaders that they're leaving because it wasn't theirs in the first place. Those are the things that are so common when you bring talented people who are out serving their honor. So we must be so careful of that. So I would just wonder, first of all, how did this person end up there in the first place? We must really guard against that. Having said that, um, okay, so the situation's happened. Um, this person's there. 
Maybe they've developed an honor issue along the way, an authority issue along the way. Um, one thing that stood out to me in the way this person asked this question was this, how can you correct them in the least offensive way? To me, this is the wrong way to look at this. I don't think we need to go around burning everybody's house down and go around picking fights or things like that. But to me, where this statement is coming from is I want to try to correct them in a way where I ensure they don't leave or correct them in a way that that, you know, doesn't doesn't offend them, you know, that, that kind of thing. To me, this is already missing the whole point of confronting them in the first place, that you can have a loving, straight talk that is still direct and to the point. You, uh, I would encourage you in confrontation, if you want to make it not offensive, is to keep things about the issue and not the person. So you're not attacking you, you're attacking the fruit, you're attacking the actions, you're attacking the the you know the, the situation at hand not the person it's different to say you know you failed here than to say you're a failure those are two very different statements so keep it about the issue not about the person but you're probably going to have to be bold you're probably going to have to stand your ground um, authority issues are ugly to deal with and um it's going to take a lot of prayer it's going to take a lot of patience it's going to take a lot of grace but also a lot of strength to approach an authority issue. And those conversations generally don't start out going great. One thing I can encourage you to do is try the pastoring route with them first. In other words, authority issues are usually coming from brokenness, usually coming from someone having bumped their head on previous authority, coming from a broken home, coming from a broken background. And I do attempt to start out on that conversation with empathy and start out on that conversation as a pastor. So sitting the person down and saying, man, we're a little bit backwards here. Let's talk about it. How, how are you doing? Tell, can you bring me in? What's going on? What's going on in this space? We're not, we're not doing well right now. So, so bring me in. Let's talk. If they let you in and you can pastor that place, if they'll take you to that place and allow you to speak to it, you may gain a really great follower out of them because you can possibly help them navigate a very real hurt on the inside of them. If they do not let you to that space, um, you still have the responsibility to keep the culture of your team pure. And you still have the responsibility to stand up against authority issues and not allow them on their team regardless of the person's talent and contribution um, I, I do, again, I always try to go the pastoring route if I can. I always try to realize they've bumped their head with a leader somewhere and they're projecting that into this situation. But you won't save everybody in this. And you can't risk keeping someone with an authority issue around on your team um, because it will bear fruit and it will bring about a harvest in your church and on your team so the goal is not for them to not leave. The goal is not to not offend them. But, but if you can, try pastoring them first if they'll let you. If not, though, you do need to stand your ground and you do need to make the appropriate moves with wisdom, with the backing of your pastor. You don't want authority issues lingering on your team. They will cause you greater problems further down the path. Okay, we had another great question come in here at one of our events this year. Uh, this question was this. How do you build into young people 
so they can pass the test of authority? Great question. How do you build into young people so they can pass the test of authority? You know, the the truth about authority tests is none of us will escape them. None of us will escape, you know, potentially bumping our heads with a leader or being in a very imperfect environment. And man, I loved where this question is coming from, because as I've already said in this episode, our culture right now is just is writhing with authority issues. It is trendy to have an authority issue right now. And as God's people, we have to be uncommon in this. We have to pass this test. We have to get it right. So great, great question. I think I have about four thoughts for you here today. The first thought with working with young people and helping them pass authority tests is number one, don't let them skip by the test. (laughs) Don't shelter them from it. You know, one thing Lindsay and I have chosen to do as parents with our daughter is um, we've chosen, now that she's in school, we have chosen not to request a specific teacher for her. You know, some schools give you the option to do that when you're heading into a new school year. We actually decided we're not going to request a teacher for her. We're going to trust God. Um, This year in school, she had a teacher that she just adored and loved. She had an amazing, amazing teacher this year. We've been so thankful for that teacher. She's also bound to have a teacher that she doesn't quite get along with and quite agree with. And we are actually choosing as parents to not intervene in that, to trust God, to put her in the right situations and not let her skip out at those moments. In other words, not not help her bypass those moments. Another thing that happened the other day using the analogy of my daughter was that when we arrived to school to pick her up, we found out that she had been very, very loosely involved in um, an incident that caused some other kids to get confronted. She was very loosely tied to some kids really kind of being mean to each other. I knew, and I know my daughter, I knew that she was not one of the instigators and, and being truly mean toward another kid, but she got caught up in it. She, you know, got into the conversation and we found out about it right after school she actually told us, which was great, but then I actually looked at her right on the spot and I said, we're going to go talk to your teacher about this. And she didn't want to talk to her. She didn't want to bring it up. But I said, you know, we really need to do this. And we helped her as her parents. We stood behind her. She had a really brave conversation with her teacher and she fessed up on some things and her teacher just spoke words of life into her, words of, words of courage in her. In other words, I didn't let her get out of the test. She had to face the authority figure on something she had potentially messed up on. And I, I wanted her to have that moment so that she could look back on that moment. And, and we, we loved her. We celebrated her for facing it with, with confidence and with strength. So don't let them skip by the test. Uh, number two, never, never, never contradict authority in front of a young leader. Never, never contradict someone in authority you never contradict your teacher in front of your kids. Never contradict um, your pastor in front of your own kids. You get the point. Um, one of the most damaging things we do is sow that kind of language and sow those kind of things into younger leaders. In other words, um, if you have an issue with that leader, go to that leader and talk to that leader. But in front of your kids, 
teach them what it's like and, and how to biblically, with honor, with integrity, with courage, serve a leader who might be imperfect. It's okay for them to do it. David did it. David turned out just fine. The Bible says David fulfilled the purpose of God for his generation, but he had so many years on the run serving a negative leader. And, and he said those words, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I, I just figure like when it comes to younger leaders or even my own daughter, like I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed around them. I'm not going to poison the way they see leaders. I'm going to stand up even for imperfect leaders and never contradict a leader in front of them. Number three, Give them opportunities to dig down deep and serve and see how they respond. Give them opportunities to dig down deep and serve. Let them do things they don't necessarily want to do. Let them do things that are difficult. Ask them to do things that are inconvenient. Ask them, don't be mean, but challenge them. Ask them to do the things you know they don't want to do. It's going to be rough for them. It's going to be hard for them. They're going to have to make a hard call on this. They're going to have to put some skin in the game to do this. They're going to have to go the extra mile for me to do this and just see how they respond. And once you see their response, see if you can coach their response. See if they'll let you into the space of coaching how they responded in that moment. Don't, In other words, don't let them skip out on situations to dig down deep and go the extra mile for a leader. And then just watch. See if you can speak into the response from that situation. And finally, I would say this. Show them a model of leadership that has love and integrity. Show them a model of leadership that has love and integrity. Model for them what great leadership looks like. Love them. Make them feel secure in your leadership. Be a strong leader. Be an integrous leader. Um, Debunk the notion in their life that every leader is corrupt. Uh, be that kind of person in their life and they'll, they'll trust your words on authority when you yourself lead with authority. So anyways, I hope those answers, bit of wisdom helped there for anyone who is leading someone younger. Man, this is one of the most important things we do is we shepherd their view of authority. And I pray we can raise up a generation that truly gets this right in the church, even if it means being uncommon to our prevailing society in our world right now. Okay, let's see. We have a couple more questions here that I think we can get to. Um, Here's a great, great question. What are some practical ways I can model submission to authority? In other words, what this person was asking was, how do I show the people that I'm leading how to submit to authority? Uh, Fantastic question. Here's a big thought in my life right now. People will hear what you say, but they will become who you are. In other words, people are hearing your words, but they are following and becoming your actions and your spirit. So if your spirit is off on this, if you're technically serving a leader, but but your, your spirit and your heart isn't aligned, it's submitted. If your spirit's off, everyone's going to know this. Even if they can't put words to it, they're going to know something's off here. Young people know when you're being authentic. They can spot a phony a mile away. So one of the ways to to model this is, um, I mean, there's no better way to say it than you have to die to yourself and have a great spirit while you do it. I always hope that when I've been around people, you know, that when people leave an interaction with me, I hope that they genuinely hear 
sometimes about the cost involved in ministry. I hope they hear about, you know, the 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 real side of ministry and what it's going to take. But I also hear always pray that they sense joy and that they sense I do it all over again and, and a real purity of spirit that that comes from that. In other words, submission to authority isn't easy. Um, man, it's difficult sometimes. It costs you your life sometimes. To submit to an authority figure is not not always pretty on the inside of you. And it means leaving things you'd want to do on the table in order to serve your leader and do something else that they want you to do. And um, it's not easy. Um, But I just hope that we can all get to a place where we have a real purity of spirit and a real joy in that. I hope that people realize just about even my own life that I have truly come to a place of wholeness with it and a place of joy that that um, I actually realize that that when I die to myself and when I serve a, a vision bigger than myself, it leads me into a whole new place that I couldn't have you know, brought myself to on my own, that it adds to my life. It doesn't take away from my life. So I guess the first thing I just wanted to say is make sure your spirit and your heart is right on this because people will be able to tell. People will know if your spirit is off. Uh, a couple practical bullet points I wrote down for this question is, first of all, be indistinguishable from your leader. Uniqueness is overrated when you're attempting to submit to authority and show others how to do that. Be indistinguishable. Talk like them. See things the way they see it. Stand in for them in, in moments where they're not there. Be, be a further representation of who they are. Just, so just simply be, be indistinguishable from them. Um, your uniqueness can come later. Don't make that your guide right now. Be be a be an indistinguishable uh, representation of your leader at all times. Number two, I think you can mention various attributes regularly that you respect and honor about your leader. Um, I love that um, when I've had a time to maybe teach a team or be around leaders. I try to pull in all the time things that my pastor does or our team does at home that I just think are really brilliant, that I think are really great. And what am I doing there? I, I'm showing them that I'm, I'm, I'm aligned with something bigger than me. I'm aligned with something that doesn't just have my name on it. So I, I, I try to mention those things often and show people, man, man, I honor this about my leader. I honor this about my team. I honor this about the thing I'm a part of. And I think that that demonstrates for them just by my language, by my words, man, I'm in with them. Number three, I think you can bring your leader's wisdom into regular conversations. In, a, in similar form to the last point, I think you can say, man, I, I learned this from my pastor. Th- this wisdom from my pastor changed my life. When my pastor taught this, this just redirected how I thought about this. You, you can, In other words, you can bring that kind of language into your conversation with people and people will know Man, this person is aligned with their leader. They, they're, they're, they've learned from their leader. Their life is different because of their leader. I'm demonstrating submission to them just by the way that I talk and bring them into my regular conversations. I also wrote down, um, avoid the eye roll moments. Avoid the eye roll moments. We are all hit with moments where we don't understand a decision was just made. It's very common to be in a conversation with someone and find out a decision was made and you weren't a part of the decision being made and you may not even on a gut level agree with it you have a, a choice in that moment like your initial gut reaction you can roll your eye 
you can hesitate, you can respond negatively, or you can have confidence in that moment. You can choose to align before you understand in that moment. Just avoid the eye rolls. Avoid, avoid whispers on the side to people. I say, man, I just, I just don't understand when we do that. Or man, he, he just, he does not get the, you know, whatever that sounds like coming out of you. Avoid those moments. Say, hey, it looks like we have our marching orders. Let's, let's, let's problem solve and let's sit down and figure this one out. Sounds like we, we have a new direction here. Sounds like we have something to tackle here. And just make sure that your, your initial gut response in those moments is, is coming from a great place so that you don't further pollute you know, the people who are watching you. In other words, one eye roll moment can cause a lot of damage. One whisper on the side can cause a lot of damage to the way people see authority and honoring authority. Okay, we have time for one more question. I think we're probably even already over time, but you know what? Let's just do it. Um, I wanted to end with this question. I My heart really went out to the person writing this question. I think I even know who wrote this question in one of our events. Um, so I wanted to lean into this uh, as we close today. This person said this. So you know when you're on the sidelines where you haven't passed the test as a follower of your leader and now you want to come back into alignment with that vision, what are the best steps to take Go back to your pastor as your leader and fix things. So this is referring to someone who maybe has shown a lack of alignment and wants to come back into the fold, back into a place of trust. I wrote down a couple thoughts for you here. Number one, starting really simple, say you're sorry and declare your new intentions. Find these moments matter to my pastor, not just saying I'm sorry, which of course is vital, but also declaring here's who I want to be moving forward. Here's the kind of leader I want to be on your team moving forward. Declare it, say it, write it, make it clear. Takes a lot of humility to do that. I was wrong and this is who I want to be moving forward. I don't think without drawing that kind of line in the sand, um, you can really fully build trust. Like, like you're, you're leaving the old and embracing the new. So say you're sorry and declare your new intentions. Number two, I wrote down, don't look for leadership opportunity right away. You're going to declare your new intentions. You're going to feel a lightness come on you. You're going to feel your pastor's grace in the situation, you're, you're going you're gonna to have the hugs. You're going to have the tears. You're gonna, you're gonna, they're going to say, welcome home. Welcome back. Yes, I want to move forward with you. But guess what? They're not going to give you opportunity right away. <laughs> they're not going to involve you in leadership right away. Don't, don't even look for it. Say, I'm willing to serve. Whatever that means. It doesn't have to be important. doesn't have to look important. Um, in other words, guard your heart and realize leadership opportunity won't come to you right away. And that's okay that they're not doing something wrong by, by holding that back. Trust is built over time. You know, forgiveness happens in a moment, but trust is built over time, which leads me to number three. Ask them what you can do to rebuild trust. And ask them, is there something I can do that would put me on the path of rebuilding trust with you? This could be something as simple as serving someone else on the team. 
doing something small, whatever it is, do it flawlessly. Serve your brains out. And whatever they give you to do, just ask them, what can I do to rebuild trust? Because trust building is, is your first job coming back into the fold, which leads me to number four, set no timeline on your restoration. Set no timeline on your restoration. That's up to your leader. Remember, we don't carry the burden of outcome. We carry the burden of obedience. So set no timeline saying, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve my brains out for you, for the team, for this thing you've given me to do. And that leadership position you want, there's no timeline to see you back in that place. There's no timeline to see you um, back empowered. Trust your leader. That's up to them. They get to decide that. And, um, you know, even if the, the timeline seems to be going on a bit longer than you would have wanted, keep serving, keep faithful. You never know when you're right around the corner from an opportunity. But um, we don't carry the burden of outcome. We carry the burden of obedience, which, of course, leads me to number five. And we'll end here for the day. Trust God for the outcome, even if it's different than what you wanted. Trust God for the outcome, even if it's different than what you wanted. Rebuilding trust and coming back onto a team, I really believe with the right amount of time, with integrity, with the right conversations, with the grace of God, I believe you can find yourself back in a great place of contribution and leadership. Just realize it might be different than it was before. It might be a different assignment. It might be a different place, and you need to trust God for the outcome. Trust the grace of God on your life and on that situation. Trust that he can raise, you know, new things to life in your life and the, the dreams and desires that are in your heart. He, he knows them and he is well able to do more in your life than you could ask, than you could think, you could hope, you could imagine, you could pray for. Trust God with the outcome. It may feel different, but God will get you there. He'll do something great in your life. And I believe it's a worthy, it's a worthy um, quest to be on, to desire to be back into the fold to trust with your pastor and with those in leadership over you. So I pray this has been a bit of wisdom today that helped you uh, in your life and in your leadership. Let me just say this today, leading second, as we close, we love you and we are so for you. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you who have chosen to sign up and serve a vision bigger than yourself, serve your pastors, serve your leaders, and do so with integrity. If you're finding yourself in these tensions, the tensions of the middle, wrestling through these things, just realize you're not alone, that we're all in this place, that, that God actually will use these tensions and these processes to make you better, to bring wholeness into your life so that you can serve your leader with a place of, uh, in, from a place of integrity, from a place of, of high character. So um, just know that we're in your corner. We love you. If we can ever answer a question for you, or help you in any way, please reach out to us. It would be our honor to walk alongside you. Um, all of us, as we're attempting to be uncommon leaders in the second chair. So Leading Second, we love you. I hope you'll join us again next week for another great interview, another great episode on the podcast. We have a great one teed up for next week. You're not going to want to miss it. But until next time, Leading Second, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together.
For more information, check out leadingsecond.com or join us on the Leading Second Forum on Facebook.